All right, everybody. Welcome to you. Glad to have you guys here with us. There we go. There we go. I want to say a big hello to everybody worshiping with us as well in our North Platte campus um, and down in the venue. So uh, you guys, uh, you guys are a part of a service right now that's actually happening in three different locations at the exact same time. Um, and that's at our 1115 service. We do the exact same thing at our 945 service. So pretty unique. If you're a guest here with us, pretty unique way that we do church. <clears throat> so just want to say hello to everybody worshiping with us in our different venues. Um, hey, listen, today we're going to continue our teaching series that's called Live Dead. Now, these two words don't seem like they go together very well, but we get this context really from Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, and it's from this one verse that we've been basically building this entire teaching series off of. Here's what Galatians 2.20 has to say. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I no longer live. Like I'm dying to the things of this world, the cravings of this world, the desires of this world, the interests maybe even of this world so that I can come alive in the desires and uh, the interests of Christ. So we have to die to one to come alive to the other. Uh, now listen, I love, I love uh, that God has given us life. I love the fact that, you know, he has created this amazing planet and uh, with some incredible things to explore and have adventure in. And, and I'm going to continue to do those things. But where is my ultimate desire and where is my biggest hope? My hope is in Christ. So not, not that I would live as if I can do anything grand or anything great, but that God can do things that are grand and great in me and through me. That's the concept of live dead, dead to this world, alive in Christ. And today, as you heard from the video, I want to talk to you about the subject matter of if you want to live dead, then you're going to have to learn how to be a lifelong learner. You're going to have to live a lifestyle of a lifelong learner. Now, since 1970... And may I, let me quantify this for a moment because it's going to sting. You know, you guys ever been to the doctor and right, right before the doctor or the nurse gives you that shot, they always tell you this is going to pinch a little bit. You guys know that moment? Okay. All right. Good. Uh, when that moment happens, listen, this is going to be one of those moments. It's going to pinch a little bit. So since 1970, when I was born, that's the pinch for some of you. Um, all right, since 1970, you know, when, when I was born, uh, there's been some massive changes that have taken place. And if you haven't maintained an attitude of a lifelong learner, then you have been severely left behind. And if you get left behind in what's going on in our culture, then your message, it just keeps degrading to something that is more ir- you know, uh, not, not consistent. It's not the language that people are speaking. It's something that won't make this greatest impact. And so since 1970, some major, major things have changed that if you didn't stay as a lifelong learner, you've missed it, such as the internet. All right. Didn't have the internet back then, but we got the internet now and we use it for everything. A smartphone, whether you have a cell phone, I should say. So whether you have a smartphone or a dumb phone, these are the types of things that as a lifelong learner, man, you've grabbed a hold of them and you're utilizing them and they do, they change the way we live. For some of you, maybe you have a laptop, right? Back in 1970, a laptop, seriously, right? I mean, you barely had a desktop in 1970. And so you've got this. What about some of the medical advancements that we've been able to take advantage of? Or may I even say church? I'm so thankful that at New Life, at least, we're trying to, you know, have a model. Uh, remember, you know, you, the models, you, you, you date, 
You, you date, date those things, right? You date the models, but you're married to the mission. We're married to the mission of Jesus and preaching him, but the model has changed. And I'm so, I'm so thankful that the model that we use at New Life is not the same one that we used in 1970. And that things have changed. And we're trying to be relevant to our culture and preach, though, the mission of Jesus Christ and him crucified. So being a lifelong learner is essential or otherwise you get left behind. But there's also something else about a lifelong learner. There's a popular belief that I go to school for the first 20 years of my life and then I'm done. Now I just get to go and do. Right? I mean, if you guys have been through that stage in your life, then you understand what I'm talking about. But many times we'll, we'll get through elementary school, junior high, and high school, and then college, only to show up at a job to have the boss tell us, okay, congratulations, Mr. You know, you carry a degree, or Mr. You carry a degree, but now I'm going to help you unlearn all that stuff, and you're going to actually learn how to do the job. And sometimes that's kind of the attitude behind it. But you do realize that the first 20 years of your learning... And some of us are still, you know, going to school. But those first 20 years, classically, that's not when you stop learning at the end of it. That's only when, that's only when you've developed the true tool of a lifelong learner. That's what the first 20 years are for. They're to gear us and to point us in a direction so that we could keep learning and discovering more and have a hunger actually for it. You know, there's college students that are going to, going to school right now, getting a degree for a job that the job career field that they're going after is going to radically change in the next five to 10 years. Because that's the world we live in. Things keep adapting. They keep changing. There's jobs that we don't even know about. You can't even dream about the type of job because in the next five to 10 years, there'll be brand new jobs that, that pop up all over the place, right? So we constantly live in this environment of change. Henry Ford said, anyone who stops learning is old. Did you stop learning? He said, anyone who stops learning is old, whether it's at 20 or it's at 80. Anyone who keeps learning stays young. See, lifelong learning is essential if you want to thrive in this world. right? But being a lifelong learner in your spiritual journey is even more important. It's one thing to thrive for it here. It's another thing to, you know, advance in your lifelong learning pursuit of God in more knowledge and more understanding of him. It's the only way that we can truly stand up before our other peers and be able to say, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. When you have the attitude of a spiritual lifelong learner where there's always more to, to, know, to know about God, there's always more to gain, there's always more that I can learn about the spirit and the character and the nature of God. There's always more. And I'm encouraging you today, stay hungry. Stay hungry after God. Don't use the excuses I hear often. Like maybe the number one excuse, I don't have time to be a lifelong learner. Do you know everything I got going on in my life, Jeff? I, mean, I got to work and I've got, I've got a family and I've got this and I've got that. I don't have time. You know, here's my thought behind that. It's really, it's just a different way of saying I don't want to discipline myself to make the time. All of us have time. I have time in my schedule that I waste. I have time in my schedule that's not maximized. So if I have that in my life, I know you have that in your life. Let's not be people that live by the excuse of I just don't want to discipline myself. That, that's not really a good excuse. 
Here's another excuse I hear about spiritual development and, you know, continuing to maintain an attitude of a lifelong learner. Um, I hear people say sometimes, like, I've already, I've already got a good general sense of God and his word. I don't need any more. Really? Seriously? So you're not going to be a lifelong learner because you feel like you already have a general idea of what this whole thing called Christianity is about. So therefore you're going to settle for something that's average or less than average when you could be thriving for something that is great. Yeah, of course, man, you should be going after the thing that's great. Don't ever settle for that. Don't ever get to a point where you're like, enough is enough of God. No, we have to stay on this lifelong pursuit of learning more about him. Another excuse I hear often is this. I can't learn this, this stuff on my own, Jeff. I'm not a Bible expert. I'm not a Bible expert. Yeah, but let me just tell you this. There's a lot of books that have been written, right, by people that have tried to become as best of an expert as they can, right? Because no one's going to become the total expert on God and everything about God, but they've worked hard on a subject matter and they've studied it diligently to bring something to us. And these books by the thousands are out there that you can get on your iBooks or on your Kindle. You know, you can download them. You can go to the store and buy them. You can take a journey with somebody that's actually given themselves to a book about forgiveness or peace or just about the lifestyle of Jesus or how to be a better disciple maker or how to share your faith or on and on and on. There's thousands of them that are out there, more than you can read in a lifetime. So you don't have to be an expert. There are other people that want to serve you and help you. Plus, we've got tons of tools um, at this at our fingertips. Just by, you know, Googling Bible apps and Googling Bible programs, and there's tons of Bible programs out there that you can use for free. BibleGateway.com or go to the YouVersion app. There's ways to study, you know, word studies. There's ways to, you know, hear different commentaries of what different scholars and theologians have written about those passages. There's so many ways that you can learn, even though you don't have a Bible degree. It just comes back to an attitude of, I'm not going to have any excuses. I will be a lifelong learner. But a great example of somebody who was a lifelong learner in the Bible was Solomon. That's why I recorded that video, Standing on the Mount of Olives, shooting back on the old city of Jerusalem, because I just knew that that was the place where the man with the greatest wisdom that's ever lived on earth, he dwelt, he built the very first one. And I thought there was something about his heart that we should learn from. And so his journey, he began when he was just an adolescent becoming king. How many, how many teenagers, whether you're at, no matter what auditorium you're in, how many teenagers just think that, you know, man, when it comes to wisdom, you're the smartest person you know. Most, most of them. And it's like, it's just built into a teenager. But when you're 60 years old and you look back at a teenager, you realize, wow, how little do they know, right? So Solomon becomes the king as an adolescent. So here's an adolescent who doesn't have a lot of wisdom, right? But he's got a lot of power. What do what those combinations do to a person? I got a lot of power, but I don't have any wisdom. What does that typically do? It's corrupt, right? It's not used correctly, but that's not Solomon's heart. Solomon, at the young age of 20, makes this declaration and this request before God, and he asks God to give him a heart of a lifelong learner. Here's the words that he used in 1 Kings. He says, Now, O Lord, my God, you've made your servant king in place of my father David, but I'm only a little child. He's 20 years old. Only a little child. And I do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people that you've chosen. A great people, too numerous to even count or to number. 
So give your servant as a discerning heart or a wise heart to govern your people and distinguish between right, right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of who? Yours. That was his heart. Asking God to pour out upon him a discerning heart so he could be better at leading God's people. So what does God do? What does God do? Does he give it to him or hold it from him? God gives it. Take a look. So God gave Solomon, he gave Solomon very great wisdom and understanding and knowledge as vast as the sands of the seashore. It's a lot of wisdom, right? In fact, his wisdom exceeded that of all the wise men of the East and the wise men of Egypt. He was wiser than who? Anyone. He was wiser than anyone else. He composed some 3,000 proverbs and he wrote 1,005 songs. He could speak with authority about all kinds of plants, right? From the great cedar of Lebanon to the tiny hispus that grows in the cracks of the wall. He could also speak about animals, birds, small creatures, and fish. And the kings from every nation sent their ambassadors to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. That's amazing. That's why he was, and the Bible declares that he will be the wisest man who ever lived on this earth. So how do you think God got that wisdom into him? Do you think God just kind of like opened his cranium and then just pours it in? Like, oh, that's right, I can't forget about, let me get that wisdom about the birds in there and get the wisdom about all the plant life. Let's just get it all in there. And then God just closes the cranium and goes, okay, there you go. There you go, Solomon. Go out there and be the wisest man. You think that's how it went down? Because I just don't see it going down that way. I see Solomon asking God for great wisdom. I see God saying to him, I'm going to give it to you. But how do we gain great wisdom? Just as a human, how do you gain it? You got to study, you got to read, and you got to discipline yourself to give yourself to that pursuit of finding that wisdom. Now, for some of us, don't you find it true that there's certain things that you can learn more easily than others can learn? Isn't that interesting how when you study certain topics, there's certain topics that you just enamored with and you just go after it and you, you consume it and it comes in. It's like it sticks to you like everything is Velcro. There's times, man, when I hear things that other people say that I just go, wow, that is such a powerful statement. I'm going to make that same statement again. And then three days later, I can't remember what they said. I have things that I'm really good at remembering and soaking up, and I got other things that I'm, it's difficult for me. What I see God doing is this. Solomon, as long as you will read, and you will consume, and you will learn, and you will ponder, and you will give yourself to loving me and looking around, I will open up your eyes, and I will help you learn, and I will help you see, and I will help you maintain what you've, what you've grown in. I will help you maintain the wisdom. I will help you connect the dots between A and B where some other men won't be able to do that. I will make you an expert in every field where some men will only be an expert in one. And there was an anointing, a favor of God for learning. I remember my dad telling me one day, you know, when I said, Dad, I got a big test that I need to take. Will you pray for me? And I never asked my dad for that. I was really worried about this test. I remember my dad going, well, did you study it? Because I didn't always study it. So just to be open and honest. Did you study it? Yes, I did. Well, then I'll pray. Because now now I know that I'm going to pray a prayer that the Holy Spirit can actually answer. Because if you didn't study it, how are you going to recall it? 
So it's principles like that, that faith without works is dead. Solomon, I have faith, God, I need wisdom. Works, I will study and I will do my part. And then God comes along and he does something amazing. And that's what God wants to do in your life and in mine. But we have to devote ourselves to being lifelong learners of God and of his kingdom. So what qualities are required to be a lifelong learner? Let's look at two things. These, these two words are going to blow your mind away. Are you ready? Get ready to write them down. I'm serious. You've never even heard these words before. First, you have to have humility. Isn't that deep and profound? It's just like, wow, seriously, I came to church today so that Jeff could talk to us about humility. Yeah, it's true because to be a lifelong learner, you have to be a person that's humble enough to say, I haven't gained it all. I don't know it all. C.S. Lewis, he, he said this about humility. He said, humility isn't about thinking less of yourself. Like, man, I got to you know, I think highly of myself. I got to pull myself down. He goes, it's, it's not about thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. It's about putting God first. It's about putting others first. Therefore, humility then becomes the cornerstone of a Christ follower that truly wants to live dead. I, you know, I'm dying to this world, but I'm coming alive in Christ. Without humility, you're never going to get there. But I'm going to say this to you guys. True humility True humility, real humility is hard to master. It's a super hard thing to master, but it's well worth striving for. And you're going to fail at it left and right like I fail at it left and right, but it's worth striving for. And it's worth going after to master because there's something about a person with true humility that is just so attractive. It's just so attractive. So here's Solomon at this young age humbling himself when he's a king what can a king do? A king can write a law. A king can you know, get some servant to go do whatever he wants for him. But Solomon as the king, instead of just wielding his own human power, he goes to God and he humbles himself and he says, God, I need your help to lead your people. I need a wisdom that I don't have. And God pours it out on him. So if you and me, if we pursue humility, then you're going to start discovering that God has a lot a lot to offer you. That's what the psalmist says in chapter 25. He says this, that the Lord is good and does what is right. He shows the proper path to those who go astray. And then watch this in verse nine. He leads the humble in doing what? Right. He leads the humble in doing right, teaching them his what? His ways. See, here's, here's the good news, but the challenging news Only the humble can be led and taught by God. So when we bring our humility down and we think more about God than less about us, God has a greater ability to lead us and to teach us. The humble, what do they get to enjoy? Well, they get to enjoy doing what's right before God. If you are a Christ follower today, there's probably something inside of your heart that goes, I want to live my life in a greater capacity tomorrow than I even am today in doing what's right before God. That should be part of a Christian's pursuit, to do what's right before God. Well, guess what? God wants to help you. In fact, he says he will help you, but he's waiting for us to humble ourselves and to come to a point where we can admit, I can't do it. I need you. True, it goes even beyond that. It goes into the details of why you can't do it. Talking about the details of your day. I'm not, God, all by myself, I'm not smart enough to lead that company. 
I'm not smart enough, Lord, just by myself to you know, teach that classroom. I'm not smart enough by myself to do these things. These are your people. Every person on earth is God's people, by the way. God desires that all would come into a relationship with him. That's what he wants. And he wants to use you and me to lead people that way. The best way that that's going to happen for you The best way is when you humble yourself and you admit, God, I might have an earthly degree, but I need something beyond an earthly degree if I'm going to make a spiritual impact on the hearts of people. And God will, God, he enjoys actually helping you do what's right, but he also enjoys helping you learn his ways. That that just means this. God doesn't have to be a mystery to you. If God's a mystery to you, then we need to humble ourselves Because God's going, I want to help you discover my ways. God loves those who walk in true humility. But there's a big difference between true humility and false humility. You guys ever, you you know somebody that that has false humility? You guys awake today in the main auditorium? Okay. Just checking the pulse. Just check the pulse of the person next to you. Um, Do you know somebody that has false humility? I mean, you can see them coming from a mile away. You can smell them coming from a mile away. Right, it's just something about false humility that just kind of like, it, it just kind of creeps out there. It, it ekes out there. It's just out there for people to see. The unfortunate part is that false humility kind of hides itself behind a cloak to the person that actually, you know, is walking around with this false humility. They can't see it, but everyone else can see it. So I thought I might help you understand what false humility is just a little bit more. Are you ready to learn this stuff? All right, this is going to blow your mind away because every statement is going to sound a little bit like this. You, you might have false humility if. That's how every statement is going to start. And my expectation for you is that at the end of every one of these statements that you would laugh somewhere from deep on the inside. Okay? So that's just my expectation. But um, if you don't, it's okay. It's all right. I will preach again for another day. Um, you might have false humility if. Let's just get this started, okay? If. If you ask others how they're doing, just so you can tell them about yourself. Now, I know you've never done that, right? You've never asked somebody, you've never asked, uh, thank you for the false laughs, I appreciate that. Um, uh, you've, you've never, I know you guys have never done that, but uh, so I have, right, where you've asked somebody, hey, what have you been doing lately? And you're just waiting for them to get to a moment where they take a breath so that you can tell them about what you've done. It's okay, you guys don't have to humble yourself like I just did. It's all right. I'll stand up here by myself. All right, so you might have false humility if, if you talk in the first person when sharing all of your great ideas. Like, you know what Jeff always says. Like, that's weird, right? Don't talk in the first person. You know, that's what Jeff would do. And when you're standing there and it's you talking, we already know what your name is, all right? So don't do that. But you might have false humility if every gift that you give still has the price tags on it. You wrap it up and it's great, like paper, but on the inside still has a price tag, just so everyone knows how much you really paid for it, right? That's false humility. You might have false humility if, if you have to tell others, my greatest strength is humility. Yeah, you might have false humility, right? And you might have false humility, last but not least, and then I will release you of the pain of my joke, right? Um, you might have false humility if, if, you plan a party at your house, and it just happens to be on your birthday. So um, that, that would be ideas of false humility, right? I don't really want to draw attention to myself, but I'm really trying to draw attention to myself. True humility is radically different, radically different. It's less about you, and it's way more about others. If you want to be a lifelong learner that grows 
grows, truly grows, then we're going to have to be humble. And one of the greatest ways that you can practice this is practice listening. There's three classic ways that people tend to listen, all right? The first two, people are listening just for the reply. Like they're listening until they get a great idea. And you'll, you're, you'll, you'll notice this, that when you're talking with them, all of a sudden their eyes glaze over, their face changes, they get this idea, and you can tell they've stopped listening to you, and now they're waiting for you to take a pause so they can tell you their great idea. That's their reply. The second way that people listen that is just for a reply is they listen until they disagree. And once they disagree, then they start developing the argument in their own head, and they're not listening to you anymore until, again, you take a breath so that they can tell you how they disagree with you. But the third way of listening is the proper way, and it doesn't actually even uh, have a reply to it. It's just truly listening to understand. It's that inquisitive listening where, you know, you're, you're listening, and you, you think that you get it, and just to make sure that you get it, you ask a follow-up question. It's that kind of listening that when you get done, that you're so intrigued, you know, with it that you may even tell them what you heard. So, you know, man, that's amazing. I mean, I can't I can't believe that you're actually going through A, B, and C, and D. It's that kind of listening that reaffirms to the other person that they were actually heard and that they were understood. But that's humbling yourself. You don't always have to have a comeback. i got to remind myself of that all the time. You don't always have to have something to say. That It's many times just better for us just to listen. That increases humility. But that's the attitude of a lifelong learner. If you want to be a lifelong learner, there's some other qualities you have to have. Here's my second big wow word, all right? You have to have hunger. Not only hunger to listen like we just were talking about, but a hunger to participate in life-changing activities, but also a hunger to be a mentor, a hunger to be a mentor, right? To teach people what you know. Stephen Covey in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, um, he teaches that to truly learn something, you need to teach it. If you truly are going to learn something, then to teach it. I remember when I was in the Air Force and I was assigned to this special operations unit and we were doing um, you know, a bunch of communications work and so I had all this I had classified communications equipment, I had unclassified communications equipment, we had policies and procedures of how to you know, transmit and receive messages over the satellites and VHF and UHF and so on and so forth. And so I got promoted to be the trainer of the unit. And I took that really serious. I mean, I, I knew that what we were doing was something that had a real-time field experience to it or a real-time combat experience to it. And that if our communications went right, we might get the assignment done correctly, which actually could save lives and expedite the mission in which we're on. So I would find myself studying the manuals of new equipment that came in and then practicing with that new equipment until I understood why it worked. Not just how it worked. A lot of times in our lifelong learning pursuit, we, we stop with just the how instead of growing all the way to the why. There's a, there's a big depth to understanding when you go for the why does something work versus just how it works. And so I would have to teach and I would have to train. And there was something that helped me be the best that I could be that actually got me promoted to be able to do things that other guys in my unit never got to do. And that's because when you have a true hunger to learn, it's something that a boss is looking for. They desire people that work for them to have a true hunger to learn. Well, guess what? God is also looking for the exact same thing to pour out his spirit in. And I think that's what you see happening with Solomon. He was hungry 
for not just the how, he was hungry for the why something worked. And God pours out upon him this supernatural wisdom that he's able to maintain and keep and see and do amazing things with. See, a hunger to learn is always, it will always get you the good things. Always get you the good things. That's at least what the psalmist says. Take a, look, take a listen to this. In Psalms 107, let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things that he's done for them. For he satisfies the thirsty and he fills the hungry with what? The hungry. He fills the hungry with good things. The spiritual hungry, right? With good things. It's amazing. That's what God wants to do. He wants to do that in your life and he wants to do that in my life. And I can just tell you this, that personally, personally I've been hungry for a few things lately in my life and I just thought for a moment that I I might share with you the things I've been hungry about and some of the good things that God's been depositing into my life. And one of the areas that I've been hungry is how can I be the best leader for you when it comes to this presidential election? I've been hungry for that. Like I've been asking other peers questions about it. I've been reading article after article that I can get my hands on. I've been going back to God's word and looking at God's word. I've been consumed with all of the same things that you've been consumed with on the media and watching presidential debates and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so I've got both the, the intake of all of the media and I'm trying to balance it all out with the intake of God's spirit coming into me. And I've been hungry, really hungry just to hear what God has to say about this. And I would like to share with you just a couple of the, maybe the good things, if I can just put them that way, the good things that have kind of stood out to me. So here's what's really jumping off the page at me. Number one, we need every Christian, every Christ-centered follower to be engaged in this election. You don't have the right as an American citizen. You gave that right up when you were born here and when you were raised here and you're an American citizen. You, You forfeit the right not to participate. I believe that every American has a duty and a responsibility, like a soldier has a responsibility. You have a duty and a responsibility to participate in this vote, regardless of how you feel about it. That's number one. Um, Number two, you should not be wrapped up in this vote based on personalities and characteristics. Those things, they might frustrate you. They might get underneath your skin. You might be very opinionated. And you might be getting all of your direction from the media. And some of you guys, let me just say this to you. Some of you, you need to turn off Fox News. You need to turn off CNN. And you need to walk away from those things because they're corrupting your very heart. They're corrupting the way that you're thinking. They're corrupting the way that you're perceiving. And you've got yourself all wrapped up into into personalities and in names. Let me just tell you this. Here's the good news. On November the 9th, somebody's going to be the next president of the United States, but it's not going to change who sits on the throne. It may not be the person that right now you would pick. It may be different than what you would pick right now. Someone's going someone's gonna to fill that slot, and God's still going to be on the throne. So Romans chapter 13 is a great a great chapter to go to in verse one and just start reading it a little bit for yourself. It really just comes right out and it says, guess who puts leaders in positions of authority? God does. Not democracy, not you, not me. 
God does it. You know, let me just tell you, one of the things that in my hunger and pursuing God that I really sensed the, that God was just challenging me with, and he was like, Jeff, you know, one of the things that you haven't prayed at all during this entire election period is this, what is my plan? And how can I team up with your plan, God? I'm going to tell you that my whole world is is being flipped and turned inside out and challenged to the very core as I'm thinking about, God, what is your plan for this election and how can I team up with you? Versus who do I want and how am I going to vote? Big difference, big difference. There's something about that that also deals with this other underlying issue that I sense is happening you know, with Christians and happening in our nation as a whole and that is the issue of fear. There's a lot of fear that's going around that if a certain person were to get elected, these things will happen. Or if this person gets elected, these things will take place. And that it doesn't matter who gets elected, there's somebody evidently out there that thinks the world's going to come to an end. And there's a lot of fear. And I just want to say to you that God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but he's given you one of power, love, and a sound mind. My advice to you is this. Start praying one simple prayer. God, what is your plan for this election and how can I team up with you? That's God's heart. Let me just tell you one more thing you can do. This is super practical for all of us. If you, uh, if you continue to be a lifelong learner and you didn't stop in 1970 and you have a smartphone on you, then pull out your smartphone right now. All right? Just pull it out right now. Right now, right where you're at. Just pull it out. And I want you to go to the alarm area where you set alarms. I want you to set an alarm for every single day between now and the election Okay, for 8.16, at 8.16 in the evening, that you'll spend one minute every night between now and election, and you'll pray for our country, and you'll pray for God's will to be done in this election. Now, if you understand a 24-hour clock in military time, then you'll know quickly that that is 2016. So 8.16, you pray for one minute between now and uh, through November the 8th, and you pray for God's will to be done, and for God's kingdom to come. And then let's not have fear, and let's not get all caught up in this world's media. Let's get caught up in the fact that there's one thing that is true and one thing that is to be held on to, and that is Jesus is on the throne, and when November the 9th comes, he's still on the throne. He's not pacing back and forth you know, in the throne room wondering to himself, what in the world am I going to do with America now? He's fully in control. Amen? Amen. Well, listen, I'm just going to jump to the conclusion really quick and just tell you this. It seems as if the longer that you live and the more leadership that you're given, the more you realize how much you don't know. It's just amazing how God has a way of moving the boundaries of understanding farther out the more knowledge that you gain. When I was younger, I thought I knew it all. As I grow older, I realize how much I don't know. There's something amazing about how God keeps moving the boundaries of understanding, even the more knowledge that I gain, because it's, it's so profound to me that that very thing he does to us, it keeps a lifelong learner humble while keeping them hungry. And that's why you find a young man like Solomon asking the Lord, I need your wisdom to lead these great people of yours. And my question to you today is, what question do you need to ask God? What do you need to ask God for today? So that you can maintain this heart of a lifelong learner. 
It might just simply be this. God, I need a better desire for you. I need a deeper desire, you know, just to know you. It might be, God, I need your help to to maintain a humble attitude. That's what I need. God, I watch my humility. It comes up and it just, I'm not a humble person. It just, it destroys me. God, I need your help to maintain a humble attitude heart and a humble attitude or it might be just asking god to stir an unquenchable hunger inside of you i don't know which question you need to ask god but solomon knew he knew that god had a mission for his life and if he asked god for the resources god would give it and today god has a mission for your life and if you're a lifelong learner then you want to ask god for the resources so that you can accomplish it so today in all of our auditoriums the altars are for the hungry and they're for the humble to come and just simply say god I need you if I'm going to accomplish this mission that you called me to. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Lord, as we come before you today, we come in Jesus' name, knowing that all authority and all power you have given to your Son. And that, Lord, on this earth that we live on, it's, uh, it's in turmoil and there's things that are happening that is chaotic and it's, it's baffling to our minds sometimes to understand You know how you are going to win in the end? But Lord, may we be reminded today that it doesn't matter what we face, it doesn't matter what is coming against us, that you're still on the throne and you're still in charge and we should put our ultimate hope and our trust in you. Lord, help this church to be lifelong learners so that we could be dead to this world and alive in Christ. Keep us as humble people. But stir inside of us incredible hunger. We ask for these things and we pray for these things in Jesus' name. And as we respond to you over these next few moments, may we sense the the pulling, the nudging of the Holy Spirit, pulling us and pushing us closer and closer to you. Let our lives at the end of this service look a little bit more like you. May we humble ourselves to admit we need it. May we be hungry enough to chase after you. In Jesus' name, amen.